You know, a few months ago, I, uh, I was feeling pretty restless, actually. A little bit disgruntled, if I'm honest, in my spirit. And I really couldn't put my finger on it. Um, and Seth and I, uh, hello, you're back. The kid's okay? Oh, good. <clears throat> Uh, Steph and I went away on holiday to see my parents and my brother in Australia, which was lovely. And we got back, and I just had this, oh, there's something in me. And in fact, one morning I was reading the Bible, and I thought I'd read Revelation, because I was tired, and I thought that would wake me up, which it did. <laughs> I, I recommend Revelation. So I was reading chapter 3, uh, verse 15, which I'm going to read to you. And it said this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. And this was written to the church in Laodicea, and you know, the, this is really the church in the present age. And it really struck me. <laughs> and it really spoke to that restlessness in me. You know, had I become so comfortable in all that I have that I've somehow allowed myself to step back up to even a little? Am I sitting in a place of lukewarmness? You know, we're called to run the race, aren't we? Marked out for us. The reality is if you're not running forward, you're going backwards. And in this word, God had challenged me to say, Mark, where are you at for me? I want you to be burning bright for me. And it was in this context that I really felt the Lord saying that I am looking for a people who are holy. I'm looking for holiness, Mark. And so when Chris... A few weeks ago, asked me to put together a five-week series, which we're going to kick off this morning. I knew what God wanted to say. He had a call for each one of us to holiness. And so really, this sermon's for me, firstly. And hopefully you get something out of it, too. You know, God wants us to grow up, to wake up, and move in new beginnings for us. That's the year that we're in, right? New beginnings. The former things are gone. The new is here. And here's the thing, guys, listen. He's wanting to prepare us for a move of the Spirit of the like we have never seen before. Did you hear what I just said? God has got something big. Can you feel it? God is going to pour his Spirit in such a way that we've never seen before. And he is preparing his people. He is preparing his bride for the coming King. He is looking for a people who are holy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Matthew 5, 8. And so, guys, in this next five weeks, God is going to do some deep work in us. And we should expect that, right? Hebrews 12, 2. Jesus is the author and? Exactly. Perfecter and finisher of our faith. If we profess to be Christians and we profess the fact that he's continually working in us and wanting us to grow, so we will leave this place different than when we came in. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to listen to God's call to us. We're going to listen to the heart of God saying, I have called you to be different than the world, to be set apart. You see, in this world of sin, 
in this world of pain and suffering, in this world of decay, I have set aside for myself a people who will bring glory to my name, a people who are a royal priesthood, a people who are a peculiar people, definitely me, a people who are ambassadors for Christ, a people who are sons and daughters of the Most High, a people who are different, who are my hands and feet to pour out mercy and grace and love, a people who are different to demonstrate my goodness to a fallen world, to demonstrate salvation and restoration. That is the people that God has called. That is who we are in this place right now. And how do we do this? By being and walking in holiness. You know, when you set your face to walk in holiness, you leave that place of being lukewarm and you start burning for God. And that is his heart's desire for each one of us this morning. Thank you, Lord. So, my job this morning is to really lay a foundation for the next five weeks. And I want to start by asking the question, what is holiness? I've given you a number of tips already. You know, when we think of holiness, probably we automatically think of the things we should do and the things we shouldn't do, right? You know, if you look at early church history, lots of holiness movements. I'm thinking of John Wesley and Methodism in the 18th and 19th century. Strict prohibitions about what you couldn't do. Some were good, some were probably questionable. But, you know, as culture moved on, these outward notions of holiness moved to kind of private, moralistic notions of holiness, you know, what I could and couldn't do. But as culture moved again, these notions of holiness shifted again. It seems to change. And what do we find? We find that in an effort to be culturally relevant and not wishing to offend anyone, largely the church has stopped preaching on holiness because we want to be so friendly seeker that we dilute the gospel power so that people come in through the doors. Let me just tell you, the only way you get people through the doors is by preaching the word of God. 30 years has been preaching this pulpit, come as you are, but don't. Because God is working in his people, a people of holiness. And the other thing is, if you define holiness just by acts, then the problem is, is that culture starts defining those very things that you should be showing culture. Well, you know, it doesn't matter if I get drunk now and again. Everyone else does it. It's acceptable. Well, you know, sex before marriage. Well, you know, everyone's doing it these days. Don't be such a prude. It's true, though. You hear it. Culture starts defining what we think holiness is if we only think about the acts. So why am I laboring on this point? If we think our understanding of holiness is tied only to actions, what we do and what we don't, then we are exposed to these changing winds and we completely miss it. But here's the thing, if we truly understand what holiness is, that actions are a fruit of holiness, that we walk in it, then all of a sudden we find holiness is a lot easier. We find that indeed we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Let's look at the word holiness or holy in the Bible. You know, if we translate the original Greek or indeed the Hebrew, it it carries a strong secondary connotation of moral purity. Indeed, moral purity is important. But moral purity is not first and foremost what Scripture is talking about when it talks about holiness. Instead, here's the thing, the most basic meaning of the word is to be set apart. That is what holiness means, to be dedicated to God, to belong to God. 
You know, uh, God says in Leviticus 26, 12, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's holiness. You know, God is holy. He is set apart. There is an otherness about God and he calls us to be set apart for him. That is the relationship. So you see, prior to any consideration of morality, of good actions, biblical holiness describes a unique relationship that God has established and desires for his people. Would you see that? Now, this relationship has moral ramifications, but it precedes moral behavior. Let me put it this way. Before we are ever called to be good, we are called to be holy. Before we are ever called to be good, we are called to be holy. Holiness is not good actions devoid of heart and devoid of relationship with God. It flows out of recognizing that we are set apart for him. I mentioned John Wesley earlier. Come with me, if you will, in my time machine to 1729, where John Wesley is in his dorm room in Oxford University, where he went. And next to him is his, his brother, Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer. And next to them is George Whitfield, a great revivalist. And there's some others in their room. And they established what was known as the Holy Club. They met throughout the week. And here's the thing, having not understood at this point the doctrine of justification by faith alone, in other words, that we're saved by faith in Christ alone, not by works, not understanding that, they set up the Holy Club so that they can walk in holy works to be saved. And so their week would be filled with holy acts. Let me read to you what they did. You'll like this. The Holy Club member, I hope so, fasted until 3 p.m. on Wednesdays and Fridays, received Holy Communion once each week, studied and discussed the Greek New Testament and the classics each evening in each member's room, visited prisoners and the sick, and systematically brought all their lives under strict review. That is holy. Now, <laughs> hear what I'm saying. Those things in, are not bad, are they? In fact, they're very good. I wish I was more like that. But their view of holiness was these acts, you know, but here's the thing. They lacked peace. They lacked assurance of their salvation, and they had difficulty sustaining these works. Their view of holiness were these acts. But rather than John Wesley's acts flowing freely, they were wrought out of legalistic observance and fear of not being saved. And I tell you here that I've been in that place before. Maybe you have. Well, God will accept me if I do good things. I will be a good person and God will smile upon me if I do this, that, and thus. I'm obviously the only one here. <laughs> we, we can laugh at John Wesley in the group, but are we much different? And as a minister, you know, John became ordained in the Anglican Church. He lacked any power, any success. In fact, he traveled to America in 1735 as a missionary. And by his own words, he was a miserable failure. So he's on a ship, right, heading to America. He's a miserable failure. And he's, uh, all of a sudden, a huge storm breaks. And on the ship were some Mavarian Christians. You might have heard of the Mavarian Christians, I can actually say it, Mavarian Christians in Germany. They had the world's longest prayer meeting. It lasted for 100 years, 24-7 prayer. Amazing. It started in 1727 and lasted until 1827. So these guys were on the ship. 
And this is why, while John was terrified, this is what he wrote in his own words. In the midst of the psalm, wherewith their service began, the sea broke over, split the main sail in pieces, covered the ship, and poured in between the decks, as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English. Germans calmly stung on. It's like a World Cup game or something, isn't it? <laughs> I asked one of them afterwards, were you not afraid? He answered, I thank God, no, in German, he said. I asked, but were you not your women and children afraid? He replied mildly, no, our women and children are not afraid to die. He was so affected and impacted that when he finally returned to England, he sought out the Mavarian bishop and started attending their meetings. And in one meeting, John writes this in his diary. Someone was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle of Romans. Now, Martin Luther, who kick-started the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, the key thing around that was the, the five kind of solas, that's uh, Latin for only, or the Protestant Reformation. And one of those was by faith alone, because the church at that point were, were preaching faith and works. And so Martin Luther was saying, no, 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 it's by faith alone. And so I continue... About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. That was John's turning point. Where before his acts had come first to make him holy, now dying to himself and living for him, he had become holy. And he walked in that. Romans 12.1, brothers and sisters, in light of God's mercy, in light of everything he has done for you, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That is your act of spiritual worship. That is what we're called to do. Galatians 2.20, the life I lead, I no longer lead, but, live, but Christ that lives in me. That is holiness, being set apart for him, recognizing that he died for us and we die to ourselves. Holiness, you see, is not about being perfect, guys. It's about saying, I've been set apart for Christ, and I die to my own fleshly desires. Holiness is relationship-driven, not action-driven. I'm telling you, you'll never be holy by good works alone. We are to be set apart for him. That makes sense? We can see this, and we haven't got much time, actually. So I've got tons of notes that I'm going to edit on the fly, so you're going to have to bear with me. Um, but what I want to do together in the next few minutes is just quickly touch on 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16. Um, so if you've got your Bible, turn with me. And this really does a great job of explaining everything I've said. 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16. Let me read this. Peter's saying this. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Let's touch on this. What can we learn? He starts by saying this, as obedient children. I'm telling you, holiness is a question of obedience. But hold on, Mark, you said holiness you know, flowed out of relationship. I did. What did Jesus say? If you love me, you will obey my commands. John 14, 23. You see, obedience is the result of a love of God. 
we have such negative connotations of obedience, don't we? I was, oh. How can I put it? Adam and Eve before the fall. They were in obedience. They didn't have to act obedient. They were obedient because they were in right relationship with God. So when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands, he's not saying, listen, hold on. If you love me, you'll do what I say. He's saying, if you love me, obedience will come. What happened with the fall? Adam and Eve were disobedient and sin came in. But Peter's saying, hey guys, listen, as, as obedient children, be holy. If you, you know, you're set apart from God. You love him. Walk in that obedience. What else does Peter say? I said Paul there. I meant Peter. He says, do not conform to the evil desires you had. You know, we've come from a previous place. The old has gone, but the new is here. And why is being obedient so important? Because God knows you will be conformed by something. What conforms to you? Something is going to conform you, to shape you, to sway you, to direct you, to dissuade you, to persuade you. What is having sway in your life? You know, Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know, we're new creations in Christ Jesus, but the world, the enemy, and the flesh still are there to be gratified. We have to walk in it. We have to walk by the Spirit and live by the Spirit. And so that's why as Christians, you know, we should be wise about what we watch and what we listen to. We should be wise about the company we keep. We should be wise about what we allow ourselves to do. Well, it's fine, I'm a Christian and God's grace is sufficient. So, listen, Paul says that's not a license for you to walk in disobedience. Grace is there to empower you for right living. So we have a part to play here in holiness. Yes, holiness comes out of relationship with God because we are holy, but we need to make the decision to step in it. And I'm not saying it's easy, guys. I mean, listen, I told you at the start, and I wasn't joking, I'm preaching to myself. If I came up here and said I'm perfect, then I'd be a fake But what I'm saying here is that we have a decision to make here. Are we going to walk in that position that God has set us apart for? That is the question. And then Peter makes the other point here. When you lived in ignorance, you know, we have no excuse now, guys. If we want to grow up and mature in the Lord, then we need to recognize that that was the former ways. For those in Christ, we cannot say we didn't know. For those in Christ, we cannot plead the fifth. For those in Christ... We know there is a better way. That is old. Walk in the new. Walk in the the new clothes that God has given you, not in the grave clothes that you once had. And that's the challenge I have every morning. Mark, you are a child of God. You have been set apart for God. Make a decision to walk in that position. And then he says, verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Be like him. Imitate Christ. And you know, it says, you shall be holy. That is God's intention, command, and indeed it is his promise. How does God fulfill this? I'd invite the band up. How does God fulfill this? It is the work of Jesus on the cross. He made a way that we could never make a way for ourselves. Yes, he died on on that cross to take the penalty of sin, which is death. In that moment, the wrath of God was pointed to Jesus, and it should have been pointed to us. But Jesus took that for us. But also in that divine exchange, Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' holiness was imputed, given to us. So when God looks at us, he says, you are holy. You are clothed in righteousness. And so when God says, be holy, he's saying, you, you know, if you say yes to Jesus, you are holy, so walk in it.
You know, we have distilled holiness to such small little acts that we miss out the big picture, that God is calling us to walk in our position of holy. What of our friend John Wesley? Where did he end up? Where, you know, where once he failed, where once he had focused on holy acts devoid of relationship, now revival broke out through him. This land saw the great awakening in the 18th century. Thousands upon thousands came to hear him preach. You know, the Anglicans booted him out of the churches, out of the pulpit, because they didn't like the message he was giving. But what it meant was every, he went to the fields, to the countryside, and tens of thousands in one sitting would hear this man preach. And the Spirit of the, of the Lord would come down. People would be slain in the Spirit. That's not a modern phenomenon, by the way. It was estimated he preached 40,000 sermons. You know, he rode 250,000 miles on horseback. That's equivalent of four times around the globe. Although he was not a doctor of medicine, you know, he cured many of, of his own illnesses. And he wrote a book about it. And he set up clinics for the poor. On the other side of the English Channel, the French Revolution was breaking out. But here, peace broke out. The very fabric of society was changing this nation because one man recognized that he was set apart for God and he walked in holiness. How much more can we do together? Revival's coming through us, people. The question is, are you going to walk in all that God has for you? This holiness thing isn't about saying, I've got to do five things right and maybe one thing wrong and I'll be okay. Holiness is recognizing that we are set apart for God and that he has a calling for each one of us to walk in. We pray, Lord, would, you, would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should be praying with that as well. Lord, use me. Would you stand? You know, when he died in his short life, there were 294 preachers that came out from Methodism, 71,000 British members, 19 missionaries, 43,000 American members and 198 preachers and now there's 30 million worldwide. That was through one man because he recognized that he was different, that he was called to God to be holy. That is our calling today. And you know what? I want to give us an opportunity to respond this morning in a meaningful way. Time is short, but I want to give God time. And you know what? I'm just prompted to do this. If you recognize the call in your heart that you want to be set apart for Him, that you want to burn for Him, then I'm going to tell you, come down to the front and kneel down before the Lord as a sign of, that's me, Lord. Don't worry about other people. God is wanting to pour out a fresh anointing upon you. God is wanting to pour His Spirit upon you in right now in this place and this morning. God is looking for a people that have been set apart for Him, that will, revival will break out through them. God has paid the price. Jesus died on the cross for this very moment in time and for your very future. We're all on a path, but God wants us to move forward. Right now this morning, God is about to pour His Spirit out upon you. In the aisles, if you have to, if you're in the balcony, you can be at the front there or come down. This is not a downstairs thing, it's a church thing. 
Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, King. Keep coming. Oh, Lord God, you are building your people. You are preparing your bride for the coming King. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Keep coming. God can hold time if he wants to. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The first thing I want to do is lead us in repentance. If you recognize that you have been lukewarm, if you recognize that, you know, I love the way Mel said it earlier, through her comfort, she became uncomfortable. If through your comfort, you've been uncomfortable, that the the spirit is making you restless, then this is your opportunity to say, Lord, just forgive me. Holy Spirit. Lord, would you forgive me, Lord? Just pray along as I pray. Lord, would you forgive me? You can pray in your hearts. Lord, forgive me where I have become lukewarm, where I have not been burning for you, Lord. Lord, would you forgive me? I want to be hot for you, Lord. I repent, Lord, for not moving forward. I repent for taking my eyes off the prize. I repent for keeping you in a box and defining you by holy acts as if somehow that means I'm doing well. Well, Lord, you are bigger than the box. You are bigger than my hopes and dreams. You are bigger, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And upon your confession and your repentance, Holy Spirit, you come now and anoint your people. Yes, come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. You do business with God now in this place. You say to the Lord what's on your heart. And I'm going to pray, Lord, you just give them new visions and new pictures. Realization of your goodness. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Holy Spirit, just come. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. The lie of the enemy that says you're not worth it, I break off you in Jesus' name. That's held you back, that you're not good enough, I break that off you in Jesus' name. God has called you holy. He's called you set apart for Him. The blood of Jesus is sufficient. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and what He's done for you because He loves you. Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you